All right. You know where we are. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to sit here. Romans, the book of Romans. We're looking at six words. How many words have we covered so far? Let's go through them. What's the first word? Foreknowledge. We've covered that whenever we agree. All right. Second word. Predestination. Have we covered that word? Yes. yes. Third word. Justified. Called. Is it called comes first? Yeah. Called. Have we covered called? Yes. Next. Justification. Have we covered that? Yes. yes. Next. Glorification. Did we cover that last week? Yes. yes. So that means how many words we have left? One, One word. Now, let me make it very clear. Did I do an extensive study on everything related to justification? No. Did I do an extensive study on everything related to glorification? No. Why did I not? Because the goal here is to see how these six words all fit together in relation to soteriology, not necessarily for us to take a detour and do a a detailed discussion of each word. Does that make sense? I wanted you to have a basic understanding of each word to see how they all fit together. So, if, if you, if I have to, we have to review this because if ever, and if anyone gets this wrong, then everything we've done has been pointless. Okay. I want you to see, remember this passage is where all the controversy gets and everybody gets upset and everybody gets mad and it divides the church. And I don't understand why it creates so much controversy, but, um, my feelings are it, if, if all you do is just stop, calm down. Set your personal feelings aside and look at the words and look at how they're organized and how they flow together. You're pretty much left with only one conclusion. So let's go through this again. The first word was what? Foreknow. All right. And this is the idea that God foreknows what? According, according to the verse, people, right? Okay. Obviously here he can't foreknow everyone. Okay, because when you see when this ends, because remember, we're going to get to justification and glorified. The people he foreknows are justified and glorified. So he doesn't justify and glorify everyone. Agree? So this is foreknowing a specific people. Yes? All right. The people he foreknows, he does what? He predestines. Now, what does that take care of? If he foreknows what you're going to do, and then he's making a decision based off what you do, he wouldn't need to predetermine that because it would already be predetermined, yes? Right? If I know that when I'm done preaching, Bobby's going to get up, get in his car, and drive back to Tuscola, I don't need to predetermine that. I just know it, yes? So when you say, well, God knows those are... Okay, I was like, what's that sound? Okay. Uh, if God knows who's going to choose him, then and he wouldn't have to do anything because he already knows that they're going to do it. Does that make sense? All right, so the fact that he's predestining the people he foreknows means, number one, it's not everyone. And number two, it means he's not, he doesn't foreknow a decision and then reacting to that decision, he foreknows a certain person and then he's going to predetermine something about that person. Does that make sense? All right, so he foreknows, he predetermines. Number three, he calls. That calling can't be, he calls everyone. Because if he calls everyone, then everyone's going to be justified. So this has to be a specific calling, which we distinguish between the general and, and the specific or the general and the gospel, right? And then those he calls, he justifies. That, that solves the problem right there, correct? Not everybody. 
He justifies. Then those he justifies, he glorifies. That's the way it works. There's no way to get around that. Okay? You, 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 you can try to change, even if you try to change the meaning of the words, this is what I want you to see. Even if you try to change the meaning of the words, the way they're organized that he foreknows and you put them in order, you can't change the meaning of the words too much before you destroy the meaning of the entire passage. You can't say, well, he, he foreknows what you're going to do. That makes no sense because he's predetermining what you're going to do. So that doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't need to predetermine it, right? Well, he foreknows everyone. Well, then that means everyone's going to be justified. Predetermined doesn't mean to determine beforehand. Well, then what does it mean? <laughs> right? What does it mean then? Justify doesn't mean justify. You see, before it, no, you, before it's over, you're in trouble. You can't spend all of your time trying to change these. You have to just embrace what they say. You may not like it, but you've got to embrace it because that we've literally, look at every case. Have we looked up the meaning of the words? Yes. Did we find anything that was difficult? Like, oh no, I don't know if we can figure out the meaning of this. All of them were simple, easy to understand. Okay, now. So, where did we stop then? Glorified, verse what? 30. All right, so let's go back to verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? Stop right there. All right, what is he doing in verse 31? Now, we've only looked at five words so far, but what is he doing in verse 31? Verse 31. All right, think of it this way. He's given us the theological truth of those five words. Can everyone say amen to that? Now, what, so now what he's going to do is, so what should we say about these theological, what should we say, what should we do? What are the practical results of these five words? In fact, how does the NIV translate that? All right, what should your response be? How should you think? You've, you've all been given the five words, right? I don't think there's anyone here. Well, maybe there's someone listening online. But as far as I know, I think anyone listening could go, okay, he was fair with the five words, right? We looked them up in the Greek. We, there, there, none of them were like, oh, that, ooh, I don't know what to do. Most of them didn't have like three or four meanings. They had pretty basic, straightforward meanings. In context, there was nothing complicated, so now that we know that, what do we do? What do we say? How do we respond to these things? And what is the response he offers up here? And I'm, I'm, before you answer, let me do something really quick, just because we're dealing with such an important concept. Let me open the app. Make sure that if anybody's listening and they throw in their comments, I can at least try to respond. Okay, all right. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? All right. So what shall we say, or um, what shall we say then, what shall we then say, if I read the King James correctly, to these things? What's the first thing we should say? What's our first response? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. Now, in what way is God for us according to what these things that he's just talked about? Well, he's for us in what way? 
He foreknew you. Now, see, now you note it says, if God is for us, he's making it a specific group of people, right? So, if God is for you, how is God for you according to the things we've just studied? He foreknew you. Yes? Now, did he foreknow you? What else did he do? He predestined you. What else did he do? Called you. What else did he do? Justify. What else is he going to do? Glorify. That deals with what he did. Think of it. That's the past. That's the present, and that's the future. Right? Because are you not currently justified? Right? That's past, present, and future. God has been for you before you were even born. He was for you. Right? He was for you in justifying you, and he will be for you there. So if God is for you, then who can possibly be against you? Can anyone take away the fact that you were foreknown? Can anyone take away the fact that you were predestined? Can anyone take the take it away that you were uh, called? Can anyone take away the fact that you were justified? Can anyone take away the fact that you are going to be glorified? Okay, when we say no one, that includes whom? Yourself. That's good news. All right. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Now, what all things I think that's referencing to is all things from a spiritual, that we've in Christ, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We may be able to take that apart maybe in more detail, but obviously we don't get everything, right? I'm not rich. I'm not, you know, six foot tall. I can't dunk a basketball. I mean, there's a million things I don't have, right? But spiritually, what do I have? I have everything. Yeah. I have also, I've been blessed in Christ. I have all spiritual blessings. I think that's Ephesians chapter one that speaks of that. Okay. All right, everybody got that? Now, what does he say in the next verse? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There is the word of the day, elect. The word elect. Yours has the word chosen, all right? So let's do a couple of things. I wasn't going to do this, but just since we've done it for all the other words, If you have the Blue Letter Bible app, open it up. Let's do a basic study of the word elect here, okay? Because, you know, we got to know exactly what it means, okay? Um, I'll look up in the Blue Letter Bible app. Sarah Danzler, do you have access to uh, an English dictionary? Can you look up the word elect in an English dictionary? Just because I'm curious to see exactly what it says there. Okay, I'm going to go to Romans 8.33 in the Blue Letter Bible app. Okay, I'm going to pull up the antilinear. And I'm going to pull up the word elect. Okay, all right. Uh, in the English, the word elect. What does the word elect mean in the English? To choose or select by a vote. All right, now according to this text, who's the elect? Okay, well, uh, yeah, obviously those who have been foreknown, called, justified. Those who have been justified are the elect. Can we all say that? Yes? Would that be fair? Okay. If the elect are those who are justified, then who, if, did we elect ourselves? Is that usually how someone who's elected does it? Do you elect yourself? No. You're elected by someone else. In fact, what does the text say? 
God's elect. Does everybody see the text? In fact, uh, the NIV says God's chosen. Whom God hath chosen. So we are the elect, but we are, whose elect are we? God's elect. That demonstrates who did the electing. God. From a, Sarah can correct me on this, from the way the verse is written, it demonstrates who did the action. Does it show God doing the acting of the? The ownership. Ownership, right. Okay, good. good. We, we are God's elect. We belong to God because God did the, did the what? The electing. Does that make sense? All right, does everybody see that? All right, so I just, there, why am I stressing this? Because a lot of people say, no, 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 no. The way you become God's elect is by you choosing him. But then God would be what? Our elect. Does everybody hear what I just said? Some people believe the way Bobby became God's elect is that Bobby chose God. But that would make God whose elect? Bobby's. Do you see how utterly blasphemous that is? Bobby, if he's justified, is whose elect? God's. Demonstrating God did what? Elected and in a sense, as, as Sarah Dantzler said, Shows ownership. Bobby belongs to whom? God. And how does he end up belonging to God? Because God foreknew him, predestined him, called him, justified him, and glorified him. This is the very basis of eternal security. Like, people who deny this and still want to believe in eternal security, it makes no sense. If God was free to choose him, then Bobby should be free to do what? Unchoose him. But if God did it all, then Bobby belongs to God apart from what Bobby thinks or does. Yes? Okay. Now let's what's the Greek word for elect here? What's the Greek word? Right? That's just and I just wanted to show just even a basic understanding it from the English takes care of it. All right. Okay, wait. Okay, now we're listening to me preach. I gotta close that. Okay, here we go. All right. Listening to me preach. Here we go. Strong's G, 1588, Ekletos. 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 Everybody got that? Ekletos. Guess what it means? It's used 23 times. Guess how it's tr- uh, translated. What do you think? What are the two ways you think it's translated? I mean, if you're lo- looking at the app, you can see it for yourself. Elect or chosen. So then wh- why is that important? There's no controversy here. The word elect means elect or chosen, okay? What's the definition? Chosen, elect, implication, favorite. <laughs> that, okay, How is the, what's the outline of biblical usage? Picked out, chosen. Chosen by God to upset. Now listen, chosen by God to obtain salvation through Christ. Christians are called chosen or elect of God. Does everybody hear that? Christians are called what? Chosen or elect of God, not of yourself. You didn't do the choosing. You didn't do the electing. Who did the choosing and the electing? I just want you to see, this destroys all of the arguments. Because the, the argument is either who did the choosing? 
You or God? If you say you, then who's the elect? God. But who is called the elect? We are. And we are God's elect or God's chosen. I I cannot emphasize. I don't even know why this is an argument. I don't know why people get upset. This is not controversial. It's the very meaning of the words. Right? The Messiah is called elect as being appointed by God to the most exalted office conceivable. But see, even there, Jesus is in a sense, the Messiah is referred to the elect because God the Father chose. See, it's still, if you're, you're, that's the way it has to work. Choice, select, the best of its kind or class, excellent, preeminent, applied to certain individual Christians. All right, there you go. Now, we can look up at all, all the scriptures, but I, I think in some ways we should just go home right now, right? Because, I mean, it's that simple. Now, what's the result of being God's elect? According to the verse. No one can lay a charge against me. You say, I can make a charge against you. No, you can't. Why can't you? God justified me. And how did God justify me? Well, he justified me by imputing whose righteousness to me? Christ. So if my justification is based off an imputed righteousness, you, can't co- you can come up to me all day and say, you did this sin, 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 this sin. And you know what? You may be right that I committed all of those sins, but guess what? Does, that doesn't change. My justification, because who justified me? God, not you, not me, not your behavior, not my behavior, but the finished work of Christ. Does that make sense? Everybody should be amening that because that's a very good thing, right? Because there's going to be plenty of times people want to lay a, a charge at you, okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. That, 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 should, that should be the end. It really isn't more complicated than that. Look, there's some, look, when the text is complicated, do I acknowledge its complications? Yes. Do I, will I spend weeks, months, and years working through a complication? Yes. This is not complicated. But we're going to go, we're going to go to Grudem now and work on the doctrine of election. All right. He's going to work on two words. Are you ready? He's going to work on the word election and reprobation. Election and reprobation. Now that this is, this is going to get very controversial before this is over, but that's okay. All right. All right. Uh, see, I, there's a lot of things here I'm not going to read. Let's do this. All right. Um, okay. I, yeah, actually, I'm going to read this because we need the, we need the we need the foundation here. Right. Thinking caps on. Okay. In the earlier chapters of Grudem Systematic Theology, there was discussions about the fact that we have all sinned and deserved eternal punishment from God, and we can all say Amen to that. Right. And the fact that Christ died and earned salvation for us. Can everyone agree with that? We're all sinners. Christ died to save sinners. Everybody says, amen. All right. But now, in the part of the systematic theology we find ourselves, we will look at the way God applies that salvation to our lives. God, Jesus provides salvation, but how is it applied to your life? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, We begin in this chapter with God's work of election. That is 
his decision to choose us to be saved before the foundation of the world. I want you to just write that down. He's probably going to get a, a more theological definition of election, but I want you to write that down as at least definition number one. Election is what? Um, in fact, I'm going to go back here. Election is God's decision to choose us to be saved before the foundation of the world. Election is God's decision to choose us to be saved before the foundation of the world. All right? Anybody? Now, does, does that bother some people? Oh, that, 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 what we just said, there, there's some people that will just absolutely, their brains will melt and they'll get mad. I'm like, no, 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 I chose God. I chose God. But remember, the minute you say, I chose God, you just made God your elect. And that is blasphemous because the text says we are God's elect. I don't become God's elect by choosing him. I become God's elect because he chose me. Right? Right? When the president is elected, he's elected by whom? Us. If he elects himself, he's no longer considered a president in a democratic situation. He's considered a dictator, right? Okay, there we go. It's not complicated. It's not complicated, but, but we, we, we have major problems. Now, I want to make sure we understand something here. If we get very technical theologically, this part of the systematic theology is about the application of salvation to us. Technically, election probably, some, some would argue, doesn't belong to the application. But the reason Grudem puts it there is because chronologically, this, it's, our, our salvation begins with God electing us. But electing happens before he applies it. In other words, you are elect before your salvation has been applied. But when were you elected? Before the foundations of the world. So it's not applied. In other words, Bobby, how old are you? He's old enough. Okay, whatever age he currently is. Okay, when God finally applies salvation to Bobby, right? Then he'll be saved. He can be elect before being saved. Does that make sense? Okay, you're elect. Then God at a point in time applies salvation. Does, does that make sense? Okay. I want to make sure everybody understands that. Some people get very confused by that. They're like, well, how can you elect and not save? Because election took place before I was born. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Then the application of salvation shows at a particular time. All right? So, the fact that we place it in a kind of a chronological order refers to the ordo salutis or the order of salvation. Ordo salutis is the, uh, the Latin phrase. Okay, which simply means order of salvation. All right, I'm going to give you an order of salvation. I'm going to give you an order of salvation. I, I would I, technically I should have you all grab a piece of paper and you write out the order of salvation and see how correct you guys are because y'all should know the order of salvation. But let me make it very clear: if you take the order of salvation I'm about to give you, and you ask your friends about the order of salvation, to who go to different churches. 
they're going to think their order is going to be very different than your order. One, I don't even know if they probably ever had a teaching on or the order of salutis. Okay, we have had it plenty of times. Right? I remember calling uh, way back when I first did it. I called everyone. I called everyone at their house. And I said, hey, give me the order of salvation. And I think the only one in the entire church who got it right was Bobby. In fact, Diane was in the background disagreeing with you if I remember the phone call, okay? Bobby was the only one who got it right. Everyone else in the church got it wrong, okay? Bobby got it right, okay? So, which is, that's a good thing, okay? Someone got it right because I was really worried nobody would. But we're gonna go through this, okay? All right, now, I don't know why this is controversial, but people get so upset over this. People lose their minds over this. And what drives me crazy is people get upset. And then when you say, calm down, how long have you spent studying the Ordo Salutis? And they're like, well, I've never studied it. Then why are you getting mad? Right? Again, I'll use the example. If we're up here working on something in the church, right? And Bobby's like, no, we need, I don't even know what it is, some kind of a board here, two by four, whatever they are, right? And I'm like, no, no, we need a, and I just start making up stuff. Bobby's probably gonna tell me to shut up because he knows that I don't know what I'm talking about, right? There's a time to speak up, like when you know what you're talking about and there's a time to do what? Now, when it comes to theology, I will speak up. There's other issues that I'm like, I don't know, don't know about that. Don't know about that. That's why I, I got the reputation in, on all the years of working when I was in the military that if I, that if, if I spoke, people are like, uh-oh. Because I, if I didn't know, I'm not, I, don't, I, don't add, I don't add my two cents into the conversation. But when I decided to speak, because I felt that I knew what I was talking about and I'd studied the situation enough that I could offer an intelligent discussion on the matter. And people would be like, uh-oh, I'm, I'm done. Because then, because at that point, now I didn't always handle myself, but that's when I go full-blown debate mode and I'm going to yell and scream and argue because I'm like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. So I didn't always handle myself right. But it, like, there's a time to know. If, if, you don't, if you've never studied the order of salvation, you probably shouldn't be arguing what it is. You probably should go figure out what it should be. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to figure this out. Everybody ready? I'm going to give you Grudem's order of salvation. Okay? What do you think comes first? Election. Okay, there you go. Election. All right. And what would that include? Now, you could argue foreknowledge. You, could, you see how you could play. But election would involve, obviously, he can't elect someone he doesn't know. Right? All right. So election would involve foreknowledge. Right? I'm just saying there, you can break these down into different ways, but you get the idea. Right? Okay. So we'll start with election. Okay? And, wh- and what would we say there? What would, what, how would you, what would you write next to election? Put election in parentheses, choosing people for salvation. Close parentheses. Now, people don't like that. It's funny. People have no problem being called God's elect. What do they have a problem with? God doing the electing. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I want to be, I got no, yes, I'm God's elect, but I did the electing. You do realize then that makes God the elect, not you. Okay, I, I don't understand how you can get around that, but okay. Nobody has a problem. Are we not called the elect in the Bible? 
What, can you think of a verse? Okay, all right, okay, that, that was a joke there. Yeah, yeah, obviously it's in Romans 8, right? Okay. Hey, yeah, it's right there. Okay, we're, we're called God's elect. All right, so elect. What do you think comes next? Look at that. I don't even need, I'm done. I'm, I'm just, I'm done. The, call, the gospel, make sure we get the right call. The gospel call. Okay. I, you know, thinking about this, we'll, we'll, let's just put called. We'll put called. I'm going to cha- I'm going to disagree with Grudem a little bit. And here's the reason why. All right. Because remember, there, how many calls are there? There's two call. The general call goes out to everyone. That's, but that involves the gospel, does it not? Like he calls the second one the gospel call. I don't like that because all, the general call is the gospel call. I preach the gospel to anyone and everyone, correct? I call anyone who desires, come. Anyone who is hungry and thirst, come. Anyone who believes can be saved, right? I call everyone to repent and believe. I don't, I don't go looking, going, who's elect, who's not elect. That's, that's a God thing. From a human perspective, I just see people who need what? Salvation. So we're going to put the call, and then in parentheses, I want you to put the gospel call, and we'll call it the effectual call. Or you can put the general call and the special call, however you want to, to do it. I just believe that the next part is it requires two, right? In other words, I could, I could preach to Bobby 50 times, right? 49 of those times would just simply be the gospel call in the sense that I'm presenting the gospel to him. On the 50th, something else happens. The gospel call now turns into the effectual call where God steps in. I, I can't do the effectual call. I want to make sure you understand, as a parent, you cannot give your kid the effectual call. Only God can give your kid. What's your responsibility? The gospel call. Gospel call. I'm I'm breaking the gospel. I just don't want to, I don't want us to not use the gospel call in relations to everyone because the gospel is to be preached to every man, woman, boy, girl, and child. Does that make sense? So I'm being very, I'm changing this up a little bit. So the second part is the gospel and effectual call. You have to have both. So you can think of it. You can be elect before the foundations of the world. You can hear, you can hear the gospel call 9,000 times. And it's that next time where the gospel call, what's added to it is the effectual call. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. I, I, I'm going to clean that up a little bit because I don't, I don't like the way. Now, Grudem would probably explain it better than me, the way, why he did it the way he did it. But I, I want to clar- clarify it a little bit. Okay. All right. So we have the uh, election, God's cho- choice of people to be saved. And then we're going to have the call. And the call here includes what two? Gospel and the effectual. All right, everybody got that? Yes? Then what's number three? Oh, look at that. Regeneration. Regeneration. Now, what makes our church heretical in the minds of some people? We say regeneration precedes faith and repentance. Most Christians preach that regeneration follows repentance and faith. Everybody see that? Now, why do we believe it that way? Yeah, we believe that I, 
I, that, I, that I am incapable of repentance and faith until I'm regenerated because dead people cannot repent and believe. Dead people need to be given life. I need to be regenerated. God accomplishes the regeneration between what two things? The gospel and effectual call. He, those two things are used to then bring me from death unto life. So regeneration. Does everybody understand that? All right. In fact, uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's going to come. That's going to come next. Okay. Um, regeneration. Think of regeneration being born again. Now, this is where, this is where people get very upset because guess what we just said? That we're born again before we have faith and repentance. Now, people get upset about that because they, they've never thought of it that, this way. But we're looking at it from a theological perspective, okay? Now, I want you to understand, this is a theological order of salvation. From a practical, from a practical point of view, do you always see it working out this way? No, it doesn't always just, it's not always this clean cut, right? It just kind of happens, but there, and from a theological perspective, we break it down to understand these concepts. That's why we have an order of salvation is to understand it from a theological perspective, all right? So from our perspective, what precedes faith and repentance? Regeneration. I want to make sure you understand that, okay? 99% of the people you know are going to disagree with you and say that you're wrong. But then I want to know how, how can a dead person do anything? And then they have to then say, well, dead doesn't mean dead. Okay, well, no. And I guess alive doesn't mean live. And I guess salvation doesn't mean salvation. I guess God doesn't mean God. At that point, just start changing the meaning of every word. Elect doesn't mean elect. Predestination doesn't mean predestination. At some point, by the time you're done rewriting the Bible, I guess you're just going to have already made yourself God because now you've written your own Bible. I mean, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay? All right? Everybody got that? Yes? Okay. All right, now what comes next? What comes after regeneration? Ooh, I'm hearing silence. This is not good. What comes after regeneration? I'm going to go back to the... uh, Okay, what would we call that? (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like faith and repentance. (laughs) Conversion, 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 conversion. And then in parentheses, faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Now, the big thing is, what do we believe about faith and repentance? We believe faith and repentance is not something that we, that arises within us. We believe it's something that is given to us by God. Now, I did a podcast showing you the grammatical arguments about where they argue that because of the, they get into all big grammatical argument. I tried to read all of it and uh, I was, I need Stacy and Sarah Danzler to, to fix it for me to tell me what, how, what they're trying to argue. But they argue that no, faith is not the gift. Right, well, where's the, te- first of all, let's go do, let's do this. Where's the text that says faith is a gift? Ephesians 2. Everybody look at it. All right. Ephesians 2. What does it say? 
All right. It's not, uh, it is a gift of God. They, they argued in this, ar- uh, this article that was written, it's very technical, and they get into a big grammatical argument, that, uh, that the, the, the gift there is not faith, it's just salvation. All right, and they get into a big grammatical argument. We've had this discussion in the church before. I think Stacy and Sarah Danza were like, "Wait, what?" And that because, yeah, the the which comes before that. This all of the discussions about the grammar. But the bottom line is, we believe that that verse is telling us that what that sal- not, salvation is not of us, faith is not of us. I will agree. I got no problem saying. Guess what? Faith is not of me. Salvation is not of me. They are both a gift of God that God gives. If God's going to give me salvation, what am I going to need to get salvation? Faith. Their argument is God gives me salvation as a, as a gift, but I have to... You've, you've probably been in a church where you've seen this, right? I've been in plenty of churches where the pastor does this. Bobby probably knows what I'm getting ready to do. The pastor will pull out like a $5 bill, right? Now, we don't have any children in the sanctuary right now, but they'll pull out a $5 bill, right? And they're like, hey, little, little Bobby, right? Do you want this $5 bill? And little Bobby's like, yeah, well, come up here and get it. Then the kid comes up there and he takes it. And he's like, that's how it works, everyone. God has salvation. That's the $5 bill. But you come and get it. Have anybody ever heard that, that illustration in church? Okay, I've heard it about a bazillion times. Okay, a bazillion times. See, because I've been in a good church for so many years that you've forgot all the bad stuff. Okay, no. All right, but Bobby's probably seen it because I know I saw it at First Baptist Church Tuscola back when I was a teenager. I saw this. Okay, and it sounds good, doesn't it? God did his part. Okay, the only problem is I'm telling a dead person to do it. Okay, so God's got to regenerate me to get me even to get up to walk down the aisle, Right? And, but I believe that I can't just, I can't just choose my, by faith to get it, that God has got to give me the faith to receive it. That the faith is a gift from God. Does that make sense? The repentance is a gift from God. That if, if, what, think of it this way. Because even if we get into the grammatical argument about that verse, and it's just maddening to just li- read the article, the, it's just absolutely maddening. I'm, in fact, I may have the article somewhere. Now, I, I think I, I pulled up multiple arguments, but y'all, y'all can go listen to the podcast because it, it drives me crazy because you think we, we can't even agree on that verse. Ephesians 2.8. We can't, Christians can't even agree on that verse. It, does that not make you just sad? Is, am I the only one that makes me sad? Like of all the verses... Okay, so here's the way I tend to, to read it, to try to not get into all the grammatical arguments. Those who are more equipped to handle the grammar, by all means, feel free to listen to it and tell me what I'm missing or what I don't understand because I will acknowledge that I may miss, be missing something. But here's the way I'm going to view it. If I say salvation is the gift, fine. If you say grammatically, that's all that's referring to. What's included in salvation? Grace and faith, right? Isn't that a part of salvation? Right? It's required. So if, if, if God, if salvation is the gift, then does, wouldn't God have to give me the very things required in order to obtain it? Yes. Unless you're saying that I can obtain it without God's help, which I just don't believe a dead person can. So faith is a gift and repentance is a gift. Let me say it again. Faith and repentance is a gift given to us by God. All right. 
Everybody understand that? All right, man, we're already at 12, 12, oh, time. We never have enough time. All right, here we go. What's, what's after conversion? I'm going to try to get through these quickly. Justification, very good. And in parentheses, just put right legal standing, just right legal. Remember, justification does not change what? Justification does not change you practically. It just changes your legal standing, okay? You're now declared to be righteous, but what are you not? Very good. I'll make sure we get that, okay? All right, so what's the first? The first thing is election, right? Number two? The, the, the call, which includes the gospel and effectual call, number three. Regeneration, number four. Conversion, which includes repentance and faith. Five, justification, which is your right legal standing. What's number six? No, 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 no. Adoption, your membership in God's family. Okay, adoption. Okay, number seven, sanctification. That's the, the change that starts taking place in your life practically. Number eight, perseverance, remaining a Christian. All right, and then number nine, death. That's going to be with the Lord. Number nine is death. And then number 10, now you can say it, Stephen. Glorification, receiving a resurrection body. All right, everybody got those 10? All right, what are they? Election, gospel call, or I should say the call the gospel and the effectual call. Number three, regeneration. Number four, conversion. Number five, justification. Number six, adoption. Number seven, sanctification. Number eight, perseverance. Number nine, death. And number 10, glorification. All right. Think of it this way. Number two through six and part of seven are all involved in becoming a Christian. Number seven and eight work themselves out in this life. Number nine occurs at the end of this life. And number 10 ultimately occurs when Christ returns, when you get the glorified body. Okay, that leaves number one. That occurs where? Before, before. And that's the one we have to figure out. Okay, any questions about any of that? I'm gonna have to stop right there, even though I wanna keep going. I should have put part one down, but I didn't. Well, the next section, he's going he's to deal with election. But I wanted to, just, he, he adds the ordo, ordo salutis, but um, like I said, I changed it up a little bit to, because I, I kind of, no, not that I disagree. I just want to make it more clear, a, a, a little more clear. All right. Any questions about any of that? All right. Probably the big takeaway, the big takeaway from this, a couple of things. Big takeaway is, number one, just remember, if we say we chose God, then we make God our elect. And if you don't realize how utterly blasphemous that is, that's, that's crazy, okay? Okay, it makes us God. Number two, 
very important is to understand that we believe regeneration precedes faith and repentance. And number three, we believe faith and repentance is a gift from God that I did not, that if I believed, it wasn't because I believed, it was because God gave me the faith to believe. And if I repented, it wasn't because I repented, it was that God gave me the repentance to repent. Therefore, if you're saved today, guess what? You're not better than anyone else. You're not smarter than anyone else. You didn't listen better than everyone else. It's because God did it and you better fall on your face and thank God because you didn't deserve it. And I didn't deserve it. And why we have it, I don't understand it. Just like when I read the Bible, why did God love Jacob and hate Esau? I'll never understand that from a human perspective because Jacob was a train wreck of a human being. Of all the people you could choose to deliver Israel, you pick Moses, a murderer? Of all the people who are going to be called a man after God's own heart, it has to be David who, who, who tried to break every sin you could think of? Of all the people who are going to be classified the wisest man in all the Bible happens to be a serial adulterer and polygamist? Amen? Peter? Oh, the one who denied Jesus how many times? Three times? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you're like, hey God, could you find some better people? Because the people you pick are pretty much garbage. And then I'm like, wait a minute. He's right. We are garbage, including me. Right? Hey God, could you pick some better people? And then you go look in the mirror and go like, never mind, never mind, never mind. Your, your choice is great, okay? Your choice is wonderful. No, that's why the Bible says God doesn't choose the wisest. He doesn't choose the strongest. He chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. Because it's about whom? Him, not us. And sometimes people don't realize that or understand that. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this, this afternoon now, Lord. And we ask that you just break our hearts to be grateful and forever just in love with the fa- fact of what you did for us and that we love you and that we realize it's about you and it's not about us and it should break our pride, break us from our arrogance and should humble us and make us the most uh, grateful people on the face of the planet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,